Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. My name is Mike Gakey, and I am one of the pastors here at First SF, and it's a real joy to be with you to, to kick off 2019 as a church together today. I wonder, I was thinking, I wonder how many of you are resolution makers? How many of you made a resolution this year? Just raise your hand. Let me see if you've made a resolution. Okay, not very many. You're like me. Uh, how many of you spend any time at the end of a year reflecting over the year? Just thinking about the year, looking at it, processing it, looking into the new year. Okay, a few more of you. How many of you sort of really get into that symbolicness of the end of a year, the symbolic change into something new at, at the beginning of the year? Any of you enjoy or appreciate that process? How many of you, January 1st is just another day on the calendar? <laughs> okay, thank you for your honesty. I personally like the symbolic stop and start of the, the end of, a, of an old year and the beginning of a new year. I'm not a resolution maker. I learned a long time ago. I'm just setting myself, giving myself an opportunity for failure in the making of resolutions. But I do like to spend time reflecting on the past year, looking at, at the year behind me and, and then seeking God and being honest with God about, about things that were hard and things that I would love to see change, but also seeking God for what he might have for me in the new year. And I, I entered 2019 personally with many things to work on. One of the things that I'm very sensitive to, and I think this is part of just getting older, but I'm very sensitive as I enter 2019 of the shortness of life. The fact that time is an exhaustible resource, that every minute is precious. But as I have prepared for this sermon, I also entered 2019 with... Um, a, a fresh perspective on the God with whom I claim to have a relationship. And I think that starting 2019 with a sermon series in the book of Genesis, which we are indeed starting today, in spite the absence of banners, which I just noticed, the blank walls behind me as I was singing. I think starting the year in Genesis gives us an opportunity individually and as a church body to rediscover God. Or maybe to discover a God that we've never really known. We are starting a series today in Genesis. It's going to be a longish series. We're going to spend several weeks in it. Then we're going to take a break around Easter for Lent. Then we're going to come back to Genesis. But we are keeping it very simple today. We are going to be in one verse, Genesis 1-1. But as we start, I want to lay a little foundation for you about this book. First of all, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, you're in luck today. Genesis is the easiest book to find because it is the first one. Second only to Revelation, which is easy to find because it is the last one. Genesis was written about 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. It's widely believed to be um, authored by Moses. It contains a wealth of famous stories. Stories that even if you don't have much experience with church, even if you don't have much experience with the Bible, many stories that you have probably heard of or at some level are familiar with. Of course, we have the story of creation. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit today, and then, and then Ryan will get into that a lot next week. You have the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. You have the story of Cain and Abel. You have the sto story of Noah and the ark and the animals two by two and the flood. You have the story of the Tower of Babel. You have the call of Abram slash Abraham. 
the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the birth of Isaac, and the almost sacrifice of Isaac. You have the story of Hagar and Ishmael. You have the story of Jacob. You have the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors, and so many, many more stories that are found in this rich book. Genesis is designed to be read chronologically. It's primarily a narrative, but it also contains poetry and, and poetic uh, words and styles. It has several themes. As you read books, especially, I think, books of the Old Testament, but, but really the whole Bible, you read a book of the Bible, you will find themes if you look for them. It's one of the ways to make reading the Bible come alive and be interesting to you. And if you read Genesis, which I hope you will, you will see many themes. The predominant theme is, is one of blessing, but you also see themes of covenant, themes of walking with God, themes of the good, of good versus evil, and many other themes. I think it's really important as we begin this series on Genesis for you to know what we believe as a church about the book of Genesis. So you may not know, if you're, if you're new here, that we have a list of, of 10 what we call core beliefs. These are the foundational beliefs with, with which this church, on which this church is based. And the first, first SF core belief is this. We believe the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, to be the inspired, infallible, and authoritative word of God. Now as such, because that is our belief about God's word, we believe the accounts in Genesis to be true and to be historical stories. We do not believe, as some do, that Genesis is essentially a myth, that it's allegorically designed to provide not a literal history, but just to provide or to communicate various ideals and, and ideas to us. We believe Genesis to be factual and historical. And that belief can be hard to grasp sometimes because the stories of Genesis are fantastic in many ways. And sometimes they can be very hard for us to wrap our heads around. But we cannot discount these stories because in these stories and the way it's laid out with genealogies and historical references, in these stories we see the realities of the God that we claim to follow. We see realities of man. We see the cause and effect nature of our interaction with God and his interaction with us. And even in the book of Genesis, we see glimpses of our future Savior. And speaking of our future Savior, Jesus, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, as he teaches um, the, the people in, 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 during his time on earth, he refers back to um, Genesis as fact more often than any other person. In, in, in at least nine different, he, he refers back to at least nine different stories of Genesis Throughout, and in many places within the Gospels, nine, at least nine, that's what I counted, stories of Genesis, Jesus refers back to as truth, not as allegorical lessons for us. And we have to realize that we can't just sort of take Jesus as our Lord and Savior and then claim that he was either wrong or lying when he referred to the stories of Genesis. This is really important for us. I've seen this so often in my years of ministry. I've seen it over and over again. If you choose to believe only part of God's word as truth, if you choose to believe only the parts of it that you can get your hands around, in time, all of the foundation of God's word for you will fracture and it will collapse. 
It's so important for you, and I encourage you, and I challenge you to seek God in this as we study this word, to, to seek, if you don't right now, to seek to believe Genesis as truth. I was thinking about this. I remember as a kid, I was really fascinated, as a young kid, really fascinated and spent hours contemplating the universe and the cosmos. I would try in my mind to imagine the vastness of it. I would look up at the sky and just imagine how far it went. And I would wonder, what if, is there an end to it somewhere? And if there is an end to it, what does that look like? And if there is an end to it, what is on the other side? And I remember, similarly, math. I was a really good math student. I loved math, but the concept of infinity baffled me. I mean, I'm a good German. I live very comfortably in the hard boundaries of black and white. And I live very comfortably in tangible things. And these concepts, as a small child, caused me anxiety. They scared me because I simply could not wrap my mind around them. But rather than continuing to search for answers and continuing to gain a deeper understanding, what I did is I quit contemplating them. And I just pushed it out of my mind. I believed everything that I read about the universe and the cosmos to be true, but I quit searching for understanding. And I think for many of us, the stories of Genesis can be like that. We believe them. At a level, we believe them, but our inability to wrap our minds around them can cause us to just push it all out of our minds. And today, I have a very base knowledge of the universe, but I lack deep understanding. My knowledge is very limited, and in reality, my interest in all of that, over the years of shoving away my questions, my interest in the universe and the cosmos completely waned. It went away. And that is what will happen to us if we don't wrestle with things that can be hard to understand or with things that we might doubt. Sometimes I think we need to understand this as Christ followers Some, and, and, and even understand this for you who do not have a relationship with God and, and you, you experience much doubt about what you hear of Christianity. Sometimes doubt is the very thing that helps us grow in our faith. If you are struggling with doubt, ask God to meet you in that struggle. Honestly open your heart to let God speak into it. Ask God for an answer and expect an answer. There's a great story in the book of Mark. There's a, a boy has seizures, probably epilepsy, and his father brings him to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, if you believe anything is possible. And the man says this, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. He will meet you there, but you will never move beyond unbelief if you approach your unbelief as a skeptic or as a scoffer or with some desire to challenge God. I promise you, challenging God will never go well for you. But if you believe sincerely, yet struggle with doubt or questions, and you want God to give you an answer, and you're open to the answer he gives you, he will give you what you need. I challenge and I encourage you to do that. I challenge you to read the book of Genesis with us. Read it, reread it, read it again. Next week, we will be digging into the whole of chapter one. Read chapter one. When we move on to chapter two, read chapter one and chapter two. 
When we move into chapter 3, read 1 and 2 again and read chapter 3. Read it yourself. God will reveal himself to you through it. Today's verse in in Genesis 1-1 sets the stage not just for the book of Genesis. It really sets the, the stage for the whole of God's word. The whole book of the Bible. It also sets the stage for the foundation of our faith and the foundation of our relationship with God. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Genesis 1-1? It is going to be on the, stay, on the screen, and I would like you to read it along with me. Let's read this together. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. One small verse that packs a wallop. There are two main things I want to share with you and highlight from this verse, and then I want to talk about what we do with a verse like this. The first thing I want to highlight from this verse is that Genesis is primarily a book about God. This book begins the Bible. It begins God's Word, and it sets the stage as it begins the book of Genesis. It sets the stage for an entire book that is really ultimately about God. It is about his power. It is about his actions. It is about his character. It is about the dynamics of of the triune God that we sung about earlier this morning. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is about God's relationship with the people that he created. Genesis 1-1 sets God apart as the creator. The creator of everything. The Hebrew word that is created here in in 1-1, this word created is bara. And it means to create from nothing. It's saying God barad, the heavens and the earth, from nothing. Elsewhere in the creation account, that word is a different word that's used. A Hebrew word asa, which means to make something suitable for use. But here he is saying he created the heavens and the earth from nothing. The only other time that word bara is used is in the creation of man. God barred mankind from nothing. Sometimes we see ourselves as the center of the universe. We see ourselves as the main subject or the main focus of God's word. But God's word is his revelation to us of himself. This is about him The second thing from this verse that we see is that God existed before creation. Genesis is not the beginning of history, actually. Genesis starts with creation, but history goes back further than creation. It goes back infinity far beyond creation. I get nervous just hearing that word. It's baffling, really. Later in Genesis 1.26... Um, we see this reference to the Trinity when, when God is creating man. And he says, let's make man in our likeness. He's referring back to this relationship, this perfect harmony and connection that existed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before creation. Before the creation of the earth and before the creation of man. John 1.1 references God and Jesus together From the beginning, as one, and it says this, these words will be on your screen. In the beginning was the word, when it says the word there, that's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There are many verses in the New Testament that reference God before creation. In John 17, 5 and John 17, 24, Jesus refers back to his relationship with his father before the world began. In Ephesians 1, 4, Paul says that we were chosen by God before the creation of the earth to be holy and blameless in him. Peter notes in 1 Peter 1.20 that Jesus was chosen to save the world before the world was created. Paul notes in 2 Timothy 1.9 that grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Think about this. It is, it's mind-blowing. He was there before the beginning of time. We sang earlier in one of the songs, time is in his hands. Age to age, the beginning and the end. The beginning is in his hands. There's a song that's popular right now called So Will I. I love this verse from it. It says, God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, he spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. In the vapor of his breath, the planets formed. Our second core belief as a church says that we believe there is one God existing, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An eternal God, not created, eternally existent. He has always been. It may be a hard thing for us to grasp, but why in the world would anyone worship another created thing? Why would anybody worship a temporal being? As I was just thinking about this and writing these words down, I felt the magnitude of this in my chest. I felt my chest physically tighten at the magnitude of an eternal God. This is a God worth serving this is a God worth following, and this is the only God worthy of our worship. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us that in the beginning, God? It should instill in all of us some sense of awe and reverence for sure. There should be at some level a, a, a limit to our familiarity with God, right? There should be a sense of awe that never fades. But at the same time, we have or can have a relationship with this God. The God who has a history before Genesis. Think about this. The entire universe is a witness to only part of all that God has done. The powerful, awesome, worthy God of the universe invites us into relationship with him. The verses I referenced earlier tell us that God knew you before creation. He knew you, Bobby Evans. He knew you, Joy Harmon. He knew you, Michael Plato. He knew you before he spoke any of this into existence. He knew you 
And it's so hard to grasp, but it's truth. And he invites us into relationship with him. This God, the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, the God of such amazing mystery, came down from heaven as a man, and he willingly died on a cross, and he rose from the dead for you and for me and for all of mankind. We may see the eternal nature of God as something of a, the greatest mystery of the book of Genesis. We may see Noah and his ark as the greatest mystery of the book of Genesis, but it may be the fact that the eternal God of the universe cares for us and that he loves us unto salvation and that he loves us in the minutia of our lives. Maybe that is the greatest mystery of Genesis. And my one question for you today, is this the God you know? I know often I say, yes, of course, that's the God I know, but then I look at my life and I'm not living as if that is the God I know. Do you know this God that we have been describing? Because this is the God who is. In his book, Help My Unbelief, Barnabas Piper says this, his quote is long, it'll be on your screen. God does not fit the world as Western thinkers have shaped it. He does not fit the processes and grids of theory, evidence, and proof. So under the influence of Enlightenment philosophers, society relegates him to those second-tier statuses of religious tradition, personal values, and vague spirituality. The God of the Bible, though, will not be relegated to anything. He is the omnipotent creator of all, including all those who are doing the relegating. It's important that we see him as the God of the Bible too, because that is how he has chosen to explain and reveal himself to us. Do you know this God? Or have you relegated God to something that's more manageable for your mind? Do you know instead a God of your own making, picking and choosing the parts of him that fit with your own sensibilities, creating a God that fits within your ideas of logic and realism and fairness? Is this the God you pray to, or do you pray to a lesser God that is easier for you to grasp, but who is decidedly less powerful? This has been so heavy on my heart as we enter a new year. This is the God we have relationship with. The creator of the universe who pre-existed the universe. It's crazy. And it's so crazy that we often push it to the side and we create something false. Something that give us, gives us some level of comfort. Something maybe that appeases our fears about eternity. But something that is decidedly not the God of the Bible. And you know what happens when we craft a God that is not the God of the Bible that is when we start to assert control over our own lives because the lesser God we have created is not powerful enough for us to trust. We start to fear and to struggle with anxiety. We put our hope in people or in politicians or in pastors or a myriad of other things. We fall into the abyss of our flesh, striving and striving and striving to find something where we will never find it. In sex, and relationships, and money, and accomplishment, and in many other things. But this God, the God of Genesis 1-1, is the God who can truly transform our lives. This God 
can alleviate our fears. Why would we fear anything or anyone if we really got that we were in relationship with this God, that he spoke creation into existence and he clothes the sparrow and he welcomes us to approach his throne of grace freely and confidently for the help that we need at the moment we need it. Why would we fear man at all if we really knew that God, the eternal God whose breath formed the very planet on which we live, if we really knew, as it says many times in God's word, if we really knew that that God was for us, would we ever fear any man? This God can provide for and oversee our material needs and and calm our financial fears and our bundle of daily circumstantial needs. This God created the world and he is also our Abba Father, a perfect Father who always acts according to our perfect good. This God is powerful enough to heal our illnesses or to enable us to walk with grace through them. This God is powerful enough to, to fight for us to allow us to fight with victory against the temptation that seems so often to control us. This God is powerful enough to change our circumstances or to change us, depending on what is best for us and what will bring him the greatest glory. This God gives our lives meaning, and this God gives our lives purpose. This God, who was and is and is to come, cares for us. And the details of our lives. Is this the God you know? Perhaps that is a noble endeavor. Maybe a noble resolution for 2019. To battle our unbelief. And to live fully and truly live. In the power and the greatness of this God. As I was preparing for today, I was reminded of something that that sort of brought this big, great God a little closer to me, and, and I hope to all of us as a human being. I remembered that God's voice not only spoke this planet into existence, but it also speaks to us. He spoke this planet into existence, and he spoke the hope for forgiveness to us. His voice spoke away shame. His voice spoke away hopelessness. His spoke His voice spoke away the the futility of life and it spoke into us light and life and liberty and love. He surrendered his life. The God who spoke galaxies into existence so that we might surrender our lives to him and find the way to the way he created us to be. He spoke creation into existence, spoke breath into every living creature and he has spoken to us. What a God we not only serve, but have relationship with. In the beginning, God cared for us. Nothing seems impossible with this God. It's hard to be hopeless being in relationship with this God. And this is my hope for this study of the book of Genesis as we get into this amazing book. My hope is this, that we would meet this God. For some of us, that we would rediscover him. For some of us that we would discover him for the first time. Our world and all of its earthly wisdom fights against this God. And it is very easy for us just to succumb to, the, to what the world is telling us. 
But this whole book speaks of the God who was in the beginning. Some of us have never known this God at all, never even heard of him. Others of, grew, others of us grew up in a religious environment, just kind of going through the motions. Maybe some of us uh, had this sense of fear about eternity for us and fear of hell, so we jumped on a Christianity train to sort of get out of hell and get into heaven, but we've never really spent any time contemplating the God that we say that we serve, the God who saved us. If Christianity for you, if your relationship with God for you has not changed your life and changed your perspective and changed your purpose and changed the way you see things, then you probably don't know him today at the level that he offers you to know him. Just as he created all of this amazing world, the cosmos, he created it all from nothing. He stands ready to create something equally miraculous in each one of you. His love for you, and just, just think about this for a minute. His love for you has burned longer than the sun. And today it burns brighter. Today, ask God to show you who he really is. And when you ask him, expect him to answer you.